As we dive into the message together this morning, let's pray together as a family just for a moment. Father, we love you. We worship you and thank you for this time that you have given us here today. God, for the opportunity to lift you up, to glorify you in worship and communion as a family, Father. Lord, I pray now that you would use this time as we go to your word, as we seek your face, your purposes. God, I ask that you would speak through me. I ask that you would speak in spite of me and that you would use this time, God, for your glory, but also for our good right here, right now, right where each of us needs you in our lives personally. God, this is our prayer as a family because we trust you, because we love you, because we know that we need you. We lift this prayer up in the name that's above every name, this same Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen. Well, we've done it. We have reached the end of the first message series of 2020. Here, we're in the fifth week of the year, which means that as a family, we're through almost 10% of everything that we're going to do together when we gather for worship. So we've already covered a lot of ground together as a church family. And as we wrap up this series, I think it's entirely appropriate that we end this series that we're calling Reap Year on February the 2nd, Groundhog Day. How many of y'all knew that it was Groundhog Day today? Today, you know, thank you, both of you. That's awesome. Now, it's funny, it's really interesting to me that Groundhog Day, for, for uh, since time immemorial in America anyway, was always about Punxsutawney Phil and whether or not he saw his shadow when he came out on February the 2nd, blah, 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 blah. But I think for most of us who have been alive for a minute or two, Groundhog Day now refers more to the movie and Bill Murray that came out in 1993. We've got a little picture here of Bill and Punxsutawney Phil. And here's what's really interesting to me. This movie, if you haven't seen this movie, man, you need to go to Blockbuster and rent it. It <laughs> is great. It's a great movie. Get your VHS or your Betamax, whatever it may be. But if you've never seen the movie, it's Bill Murray waking up on Groundhog Day over and over again to the same day, to the same people, to the same events. And, and it's, it's an incredible, incredible movie. It's funny. Bill's funny. The whole thing's great. But I believe that there's a reason this movie resonates even still today. Do you know what year this movie came out? I went and looked. I've done the homework. 1993. 93. Let me see. Can we bring up the lights just a little bit in the room? How many of y'all were not alive in 93? Can I just see a show of hands? Just trust me. It happened in 93. So almost 30 years ago, this movie came out. And the reason that I think it resonates even still is because most of us know what it's like to wake up every single day and go through the motions again another day, just like yesterday, and the same people and the same events and the same thing. And that's actually what we're trying to avoid with this message series, Reap Year, the heart and the prayer behind the series has been that 
when we get to the end of 2020, this will not only have been a leap year, which it obviously is. February has 29 days. I met a guy the other day, as a matter of fact, has nothing to do with the sermon. I met a guy whose sister, her birthday is on February 29th. Well, who, do you remember where that was? Yeah, Jordan, this friend of ours who doesn't go to our church, but he's a nice guy anyway. His sister <laughs> is born on February the 29th, and I think she's going to be officially 28 years old, but she's actually only turning four this month. <laughs> but anyway, or she, no, she's turning seven. Sorry, I, that's, so, that's what I get for doing math on the fly. But our prayer is that this is not just a leap year, but that when we get to the end of this year, because we have chosen to choose deliberately what we sow into our lives, what we sow into this year, that we would in fact reap, that we would harvest all of the good things, all of the God things that he has in store for us. This whole series has been anchored in Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, it says this in the New Living Translation. It says, don't be misled. Don't, don't allow yourself to be deceived. Don't buy the lie. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. You will reap what you sow. Now, those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest. You will reap everlasting life from the Spirit of God. This is the promise of God. This is the reality. Now, when it says that you cannot mock the justice of God, obviously, we, we live in a world where we see people mock God and our faith all the time. You, you can do it for a while. You can, you can deny it. You can flout it. You can rebel against it. You, you can act like you're special and different and unique in this way that, that this law doesn't apply to you. But the reality is that because of the way God has wired up the world, you will always, say always, you will always reap what you have sown. You will always harvest that which you have planted. This is the reality that we're working out throughout this series. And we've seen different ways throughout this series that it works out. But I, I want to talk to you today about the most important resource. If you want to think about the resources that God entrusts to us, Think about those as the seeds that we plant, the resources that God gives us. He gives us, we talked last week about financial resources. There are resources of time. There are resources of relationships. There's resources of his power, his joy, his wisdom, his peace. All of those resources are from God. But of the resources God entrusts to us, there is only one. There is only one resource that God entrusts to us that cannot be replenished, that cannot be refilled. It is the resource of time. What you do, what I do with our time is actually of the utmost importance. Believe it or not, you can always get more money. The Bible says if you don't have wisdom, ask for it. He will give it to you. If you need more wisdom, there's more where that came from. If you need more joy, if you need more peace, if you need more power from God, there's always 
more. But when God gives us a day, when God gives us a breath, much less a year or a decade or the lives that we live, that time can never be replaced. And so what we're after is actually, I just want to suggest to you, a time peace. We want to get to the end of this year and have a peace about the time that we sowed into our lives. And we get that peace from the harvest that God gives us. And the promise of Galatians chapter 6 is, if you live to please the Spirit, if you live to please God, you will harvest everlasting life. Eternal life, the Bible calls it. I don't know about you, but sometimes in my mind, I, I create this wall, this, this separation. I kind of bifurcate eternal life and this life. You ever think about that? Like, like there's eternal life, and that's what happens when I die, and I want to go to heaven. I want to get the ticket to ride, yada, yada, yada. And that, that's real. I'm not minimizing that. But I think there's a connection between eternal life and this life that is absolutely available in Christ. Part of the promise of God that when we sow to the Spirit, when we plant the resources and the seeds that God entrusts to us to please Him, then there is actually life to be had right here, right now, in ways that we can't even imagine. And we skate by that. We skip over that at our own peril. You know, a lot of people think about a timepiece as something that you, you wear on your wrist, your, your watch, or maybe, maybe you've got one of those old conductor watches that you pull out of your pocket or something like that. That's a timepiece. But a timepiece, having the peace of God that passes all perception, the peace of God that transcends our understanding, the peace of God that, that we are doing something that matters with our lives, that matters here and eternally, is the peace that God promises us. And when the Bible talks about time, there are really two takes on the subject of time. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to go to Ephesians chapter number 5. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible kind of introduces this concept of two takes on time. Ephesians 5, verses 15 and 17. This is what the Bible says. It says, be careful how you live. And that word careful doesn't just mean cautious. It means full of care. It means intentional and deliberate, like we've been talking about throughout this entire series. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. I love that. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Turn to your neighbor right now with a smile on your face and joy and passion in your heart for them. Look at them and tell them, don't be no fool. A couple of you meant that from the heart. Don't live like fools. It says, make the most of every opportunity. And that's a, that's a good translation of the original Greek that the New Testament was written in. But it doesn't really carry the full weight. It, it can't 
Make the most of every opportunity is, is accurate, but it doesn't convey the full freight of the original language. In the original language, it, it was written down, redeem the time. Redeem the time. That's what it means to make the most of every opportunity. So you redeem the time. It, it's the same word. That word redeem it's the same word that is used to describe what Jesus did for us through the cross, what we just celebrated in communion. When Jesus went to the cross and went through the cross, died and was buried and resurrected from the grave, he did so to redeem our lives, to, to literally buy us out of slavery. Prior to Christ, all of us are born into slavery to sin. That's just, it's in us. We've, we've got that spiritual inheritance that came from Adam and Eve. We're, we're born with that predisposition to, to self-protection, self-preservation. Just, we're, we're born with a predisposition to self. Nobody ever had to take a class in selfishness. That, that's just kind of baked into us. But Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection purchased us out of that slavery. And so it's the same word that we have the power in Christ to redeem the days, to redeem the time that we've been given, to purchase it out of slavery. You see, sin is not just something that affects you and me personally. It's, it's infected our entire world. It's infected the way the world operates. And so it's not only our lives that have that baked into us, it's this world since sin entered the world. Now, a lot of people will ask this question. Why didn't God just make it so we couldn't sin? That's a great question, isn't it? I think that's a great question. That, that's one of those things you're like, yeah, why, did, why didn't he just bake it into the system to where it was just hardwired that we were going to do the right thing. That would have been so much simpler. And you're right, it would have been simpler. But when you back up and remember the fact that we were created for love, we were created for relationship with a holy, morally flawless God, you remember that love always requires choice. You have to have the choice to love in order for love to be truly love. How many of you are married? Let me see a show of hands if you're married. Okay. How many of you are not married right now? You're, you're a single adult. You're a student. This is awesome. This is so good. Listen, if you're not married, can I just give you a tip as one who is? It's good if the other person you're dating or thinking about marrying or whatever has the choice whether or not to love you back. That's a, that's a good thing. You, I can't go to my wife, Julie, and say, Julie, here she, she's right here, by the way, for those of you who are new around here. Julie, love me. <laughs> for the record, I would never do that. But if I were to, it would not go well. As a general rule, my lovely bride, Julie, does not take orders well. Men, how many of your wives don't take orders well? Can I see a show of hands? I've said this before, you can't control your wife. I don't mean that it's a bad idea, <laughs> although it is. I mean you can't, you're incapable of it. You cannot control 
another human being. Would somebody help me preach? All you can do is create a culture and an environment where hopefully that person wants to love you back. That person chooses to love you back. And that's exactly what God did when he created us. He created us and gave us everything that we would ever need for peace and joy and satisfaction and fulfillment in the hopes that we would love him back. But we had the choice. And when we chose, when humanity chose to go our own direction, to, to chart our own course in self-determination, what we were saying was, God, we know better than you do. And that is the infection, that's the virus called sin. And, and so it's, it's infected every part of our lives, but Jesus went to the cross in order to kill that virus, in order to purchase us, redeem us out of sin, out of slavery to that sinful nature. So that's, that's what's going on here. So make the most of every opportunity in these evil days means redeem the time that you have. Redeem it. I told you there were two takes on time. And the two takes on time really come down to two things, the clock and the calendar. The clock and the calendar. And the Bible speaks to both of these throughout the pages of Scripture. The clock is about chronos. It's a, it's a chron you may have a watch that has a chronograph. A chronograph watch means it's got a lot of bunch of different dials on it that you don't know what they mean. That's a chronograph watch. And so a chronos time is about a specific point in time or an appropriate season in time. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 1 says this. It says, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. That's, that's clock time, chronos time. The second type of time is calendar time. Calendar time is, is the Greek word kairos, K-A-I-R-O-S, kairos. This, this, is what it, this is what's being referred to here in Ephesians chapter 5. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. This age, this era, this, this time in the calendar, it, it's an evil time because sin has not yet been eradicated. It has not yet been completely dealt with. It is in process, but it hasn't been completed yet. And so our lives are made up of this clock and this calendar tension between Kronos and Kairos. We, we're all thinking it all the time. It's what author Gretchen Rubin says. Gretchen Rubin wrote very, very famously, the days are long, but the years are short. The days are long, but the years are short. I wonder, how many of you are mothers? You, you have children, let's say, how many of you have children under the age of six? Let me just see a show of hands. Moms who have children under the age of six, your days are long. Let, let's just be honest. We love them. They're, they're awesome gifts from God, no doubt. But does any mother in the room want to help me preach that the days are long? I, thank you. <laughs> the day Lake Hills Church became Pentecostal. Amen. 
the days are long in life. Man, we, we go through day after day, and, and if we're not very careful, if we're not very intentional, we start to live Groundhog Day. We, we start doing the same thing over and over again. I remember when our children were young. They're now out of the house, but I remember when I would come home and Julie would be like, can I, can I talk to you for a second? And she was kind of, her eye was kind of twitching. And she said, how was your day? I said, it, it was good, babe. And she said, good, I'm, I'm glad. I, I don't know what I did today. How many moms have ever felt like that before? Like, you're just like, what did I do today? Man, our, our kids were born, you talk about a hard, hard existence. Julie was parenting infants and toddlers before leggings became a thing. I mean, it was hard. <laughs> Because you just, like, and, and we got to a point where when our kids were young, I was like, baby, here's the thing. You, you, you shepherded two little beings through another day. That's a big deal. You, you shepherded them through another day, and, and look, they're, they're, they're asleep. She's like, What's, what's sleep? <laughs> now, you may not be a mom, but we've all felt that. We've all felt that, that tension that or, am, am, is what I'm doing actually making a difference? Is what I'm doing, does it really matter? And I think there are three things that, that help us make sure that we keep that, that connective tissue between clock time and calendar time, between the day in and day out and the eternal life that God promises. We keep those things connected, and we, we use one to feed the other. Three things that, that I think will help us make that connection so that we, we do finish 2020 reaping a harvest of time, peace, Number one, I would tell you, if you read the Bible, there, there's a pattern that, he, that emerges that we are to heed the past. Heed the past. We're all a function of where we come from. Now, let me, let me be very, very clear about this as well. You are not defined by your past. And that is so important. You're not defined by a trauma you're not defined by a decision. In, in Christ, you're not defined by your family of origin necessarily. But it's important, I think, that we heed the past because of how it points us toward the present and the future. It's imperative that we, we pay attention and we, we look at our lives and we learn from our lives for the purposes of, of building a solid foundation for where we are and where we're going. You ignore your past at your own peril because here's something that I've found out. Your past will find you out. Your past will come up. And so it's not okay to define yourself by your past. Your past is past. 
As a matter of fact, the Bible says that in Christ, all things are made new. All things. What, what an incredible promise. Tell your neighbor right now, everything is new. Everything is new in Christ. But to heed the past means that we pay attention to it and we learn from it. And I, this is something else I've learned. A lot of times, the pain from our past can point us to the purpose of our present. A lot of times, the pain from our past can point us to the purpose of our present. And God can use that pain where, that has been there but it is in Christ that our pain itself can be redeemed. It can be used for something of value greater than what it was originally. I think about my growing up. When, when my parents divorced, man, it, it rocked my world. I, we didn't see it coming. We didn't know that it was going to happen. I had no idea. And so when it happened, I was just like, blah, blah, what? That, that doesn't make any sense. Just everything Everything was turned upside down. But can I tell you how many times I have seen God use that pain in the present for his purposes, where he has redeemed that pain, and in his purposes and in his time, it has been used for his glory and other people's good. I've been able to look at single moms and tell them, you got this. You can do this. I saw my mom do it. Your kids will be Great. You keep them tethered to the Lord. You keep them tethered to the house of God. Keep them a part of the church and watch what God does. So we're, we're, it's important that we heed the past so that, number two, we can feed the present. Man, feed the present. It, it's, it's that cliche that you've heard, but, man, it's so true. Live in the moment. I, I think too many times... We get hung up on our past or we're consumed with what might happen in the future, good, bad, and ugly, and we miss the present. In our lives, feed the present. Feed the right now. Julie and I started something at the beginning of this year. We started this thing called intermittent fasting. How many of y'all have tried intermittent fasting? Let me see a show of hands. It's very trendy right now. That's just how hip we are. <laughs> but it's been really interesting through this process. What this means is you, you cut out a window of time in your day, in your 24-hour time, where you're going to eat maybe eight hours, maybe six hours, maybe 12, whatever. But there's, there's a window where you eat. And, and we try to do it in a window of about six hours every day. And you still try to eat clean and smart in that window, but then you, you don't eat or drink anything but water or coffee, God's favorite drink. You drink coffee or water, and then you eat within that window. And it's been fascinating as we've stuck with this now for at least two days that, <laughs> that what happens is you kind of, you, you start to realize, number one, the first little twinge of hunger, I'm just going to tell you this, it's not fatal. You will live. You'll survive. And after you've done it for a few days and a few weeks, you kind of get to the place where you're like, I actually kind of like it. Like, if, like you feel a little more, you know, because when you get, like if you go to a big lunch in the middle of your day, you, you want to nap, don't you? 
Don't, don't leave your preacher hanging on this one, don't you? Surely I'm not the only one. You go get a big, you know, get a big plate of barbecue at Rudy's, gas up your car, gas up yourself and, and everything else. And, and then, man, about, about 132, 215, you're like, oh, man, if I close the door, maybe they'll think I'm praying. <laughs> but when you're hungry, just a little hungry, you're kind of like, man, I'm a little more on point, a little more like alert and aware. I'm not talking about getting to hangry. I'm just talking about hungry. When you feed the present, when you live in the moment, you have the opportunity to enjoy it so much more. I've noticed this about being anxious in my own life. It's always about the future. It's always about what might happen, what could happen. And that's not to say that it can't or won't. I think we've got to be very careful, especially when we're dealing with children, to tell them that'll never happen. You don't know that. But when you live in the moment, you become more aware of God's provision. You can become more aware of his presence and his help. And when you're aware of God's presence and help in the moment, you trust him for the future. So, so you heed the past, you feed the present, but, but also remember Sowing and reaping is also about, it's about seeding the future. You're putting seed into the ground. You seed the future. Everything that you do is preparing you for what God has already prepared for you. Everything that we do is preparing us for what God has already prepared for us. So to seed the future means that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the next right thing here in the moment. I'm going to feed the present, but I'm going to trust God, God who raised Jesus from the dead, God who redeemed my life, who bought me out of the slavery of sin. I'm going to trust that he knows what he's doing in the future. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seed that future with prayer. I'm going to seed that future with hope. Because when you realize that Jesus rose from the dead, he rose from the dead. What part of our lives is beyond his reach? What part of my life or what part of your life is beyond the scope of the hope that we have in Christ? That's the bottom line. Y'all, this sowing and reaping thing really matters. It's a big deal. And when you understand that you're sowing and reaping time every day, rather than, than being overwhelmed by the magnitude of that responsibility, I think it's an incredible opportunity to to simplify and to clarify the opportunity. Does this opportunity seed the future? Does it, does it feed the present? And, and if it doesn't feed the present or seed the future or, or heed the past and build on what has come before, then that doesn't mean it's a bad thing, but it probably means I don't need to participate. I, I, don't, need to, 
I don't need to be a part of that. I, I want to I challenge you to live this week within the paradigm of sowing and reaping your time. Examine everything that's on your day planner, everything that's in your phone, every appointment. Is it moving the purposes of God forward in your life? You're going to be surprised at the things that will do that. It may be that you have a blank space on your calendar, and that blank space is just time for you to think, time for you to, to just take a deep breath. And sometimes just taking a deep breath, intentionalizing 60 seconds, a moment, to just think about what God has for you and what he wants to do with you and through you can change the rest of your day. And if it changes the rest of your day on your, your calendar, your clock, I mean, a few of those every week could, could change your calendar, could change your life. But in order to redeem the time, to make the most of every opportunity, we have to take every thought captive to Christ. It's this relationship that we're created for. Now, I don't know where you are in your journey, but I do know that now you know why you're here, why God created you. And it's an invitation into this relationship. Some people in this room have accepted that invitation, that invitation. You, you've, you've RSVP'd to the most important event you'll ever attend, receiving new life in Christ. But every one of us now has been invited. You've heard the word. And so if you're here today and you've never RSVP'd, you've never responded to the grace of God, we want to give you the opportunity to do that. I want, if you would just bow your heads for a moment. It's a sacred moment. So I'm going to ask nobody to move or stir for any reasons or create a distraction because it's too important. But if God's moving you to respond, then we invite you just to pray. Just right where you're sitting, silently talk to God and say, Jesus, I need you. I'm asking you to redeem me. I accept what you did for me on the cross and through the cross. And in your resurrection, and I give you my life, I will follow you, Jesus. I confess my sin holding none of it back in order to claim your forgiveness. Jesus, thank you. And I pray this prayer in your name. Real quickly, I want to let you know as our heads are bowed for another moment, if that was your prayer, this is the biggest moment in your life. And as a church, as a family of faith, 
We want to help with what's next because that's just the beginning for you. Two things I want to ask you to do. Just, if you would, quietly, right where you're sitting right now, just open up the program that you got when you came in and begin filling out that Connect card. Don't let this moment pass by. Just fill it out, and about a third of the way down, you'll see there's a place to indicate I committed my life to Christ this week. Once you've completed that card, then you can tear it off along the perforation. If you want to, you can fold it in half. And I want to just invite you to hand that to one of our ushers before you leave when we dismiss in just a minute. The other thing I want to ask you to do, would you just raise your hand just quietly as our heads are bowed for another moment? Raise your hand and hold it up there for just a second. Your hand is a statement. It's a statement of what God has done in your life. It's a statement of what God has done in our church. And so we honor that and celebrate it with you. And our family tradition is that you can go ahead and put your hands down, but we're going to put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. Welcome home.